What's up, everybody? My movie, Left at Wall, is out now, and we got some screenings coming up in 2024. February 22nd, Tucson, Arizona. February 29th, Omaha, Nebraska. March 20th, Washington, D.C., and that is a free screening. So Washington, D.C., be sure to check out the movie. And March 22nd, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we're doing a stand-up show, a screening, and a Q&A after. So I will physically be present at that one. Get tickets now at robplacone.com. I'll also be announcing more 2024 tour dates with both screenings, shows, screenings and shows. You get the idea. But for now, Tucson, Omaha, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh. You can get tickets right now at romplacone.com. See you in 2024. Episode 15, Anthony Rankin. Anthony Rankin is a musician, songwriter, and producer. Among many other things, he works as a, quote, hired gun musician for large acts. What does that mean exactly? That means you have to walk into a high-level situation. Maybe it's a TV set and you're in the studio band, or maybe it's an arena or a large festival and you're the backing band for a main act, and sometimes you haven't rehearsed or even met your fellow musicians. And the moment you hit that stage... You need to sound and feel like you've been playing that material for 20 years. It's incredible. In that space, Anthony and his peers are quite literally among the best in the world. He's a humble guy. He doesn't necessarily like it when that's pointed out. But it's the truth. Also, he's one of my closest and oldest friends. We've been friends since we were five years old. He helped me through the toughest time I've ever had in my life. He's also one of the hardest working people I know. Sometimes I don't feel like writing, even though I know I should, or don't feel like hitting a stage, even though I know I need to work out. I'll occasionally think, what's Anthony up to right now? And I'll choose to work that creative muscle. I hope everyone's lucky enough to have a friend like that. Please welcome to the show, Anthony Rankin. Anthony Rankin. What's up, my man? Good to see you, buddy. It's been yeah. way too long. I didn't get to we didn't get to hang last time you came through town because it all was right. a, an abbreviated visit. It was. There's a lot of family stuff, wedding, all that kind of thing. Which the pictures looked awesome. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, so here's where I want to start. So so with this show. In December, I'm going to, you know, feature people who are closer to me in my personal life, which is Mm -hmm. obviously that's you many times over. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's going to be a thousand people. So presumably we would have had about 19 or 20 Decembers to choose from. Mm. Uh, But I wanted it to be this one. And here's why I was hoping it'd be this one. Like, so you and I were classic rock nerds uh-huh. in first grade which we we were definitely the only kids in our grade we might have been the only kids at our school yeah or now, even in the city <laughs> <laughs> at that age potentially yeah, yeah i mean usually like middle school high school like, like that's when people start like getting into zeppelin or something mm-hmm. that's not as but we were in first grade And so I don't know. I mean, first of all, sometimes I wonder, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't know you. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, like, what if it would have just been me? (laughs) I think it would have been like, I might have thought, like, I had a problem. Oh, man. Yeah. End up in therapy for Jethro Tull. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But so here, here's, so... Since you mentioned that, this is why, like, like to, to kind of put a put a period on this. This is why I was really hoping it'd be this year. So, so you and I were the first, like, like we were first grade classic rock nerds. Definitely the only two. Like, it's like we spoke a different language, basically. Yeah. And like, your big thing was CC Top, and good. my big thing was Jethro Tull. And all these years later. First of all, we're still friends, which is pretty yep. freaking awesome. Yep. And also, this year in particular, you got to jam with Billy Gibbons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got to interview Martin Barr. How about that? 
yeah, not so really far apart, right? I mean, it was probably like within weeks. <laughs> was it? I think. I okay. Think so, yeah. I didn't even realize that part, but yeah. So, so that's sort of like a trippy. I don't know what you want to call it. Like, like, like just just something about like, like I don't know if karma is the right word for it, but but just sort of a trippy like. Oh, that that's kind of weird. That like all yeah. these years later, something like that, yeah, like a full circle yeah. moment, and we're you know both living far away from where we're from and all that kind of stuff. Yes, indeed. So so I I just thought that was just such an interesting uh, thing to mention this year in particular, a year that you know for me and and we're going to get into it for you as well. Like, like it has had some 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 massive highs and crushing lows. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me personally, this has been one of the most Charles Dickens best of times, worst of times that I've had in a long time. You know. So, well, well, so let's start. I want to talk a little bit about where we grew up. Yeah, let's do it. You know, as as you, you know, as we both, and you, and you are actually, as of the recording of this, there say, now. There. You're there. You're in the thick of it. Round zero. <laughs> so what's your kind of take on just having grown up where we grew up and and how, you know, how you are where you are now? I feel like I don't know. I I think it is sort of the intersection of suburbia and the beginning of the city. I think when I was younger, I probably was like, "Oh, we're from the city," you know. <laughs> not not quite. Not quite. <laughs> um, but it definitely has a little bit of uh, northeastern vibe without necessarily being east coast. You know, there's this. I don't know Pittsburgh in general the whole Ohio Valley has sort of a, a marriage of East coast and Midwest personality for better and worse, I guess. Um, <laughs> and you know, living in the South now it's, uh, is Nashville the South? Cause that's a very disputed yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a, it's, you know, geographically certainly, but, um, sure. It's a transplant town. Like most entertainment towns, it's sort of, uh, the melting pot of melting pots, at least for the Southeast. But that's sort of, uh, I feel like over time, you know, the water gets diluted with, it becomes its own personality. Like Nashville is its own thing in general, in terms of, uh, the culture and disposition of people. Hmm. So, you know, I like, whenever I think about Pittsburgh, you know, I actually think this, and, and let me run this by you, and I mean this in a good way. Like, like everyone's saying, "Oh, Pittsburgh's so different now; mm-hmm. it's so different now." And I actually think, and I mean this as a compliment, I don't think Pittsburgh's changed all that much. No, but I mean that in a good way. Like, I think, and, and I'm speaking as like, like, like from a creative lens. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh has always had a film scene, a music scene, a comedy scene, all these other, like it's always had all of that stuff. It's just smaller than some of the other places that might come to mind. Yeah. It's not in New York. It's not in LA. It's not in Nashville. It's not a San Francisco. Um, It's not even a a Boston or anything like that, but it's like you can find almost like pretty much anything you can find anywhere else in the, in the country Right. You can find there, you just might find a much smaller version of it. Right. But and I, that's kind of all people are making it out like that's just happened five years ago. That's been the case as yeah. long as you and I have been alive, which we're, we're both significantly yeah. older than five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seven and a half, right? That's right. <laughs> um, no, but it's true because I feel like, um, you know, when we lived here, we were still doing what we're doing now or some iteration of what we are doing career-wise and life-wise now and obviously left to do it at a higher level on a larger scale perhaps. But we cut our teeth in this town and there were still venues and outlets to explore you know, artistic endeavors. Do you... So one of the things like going on that like you are the kind of guy and and I've always like really admired this about you. You like just know how 
to find your lanes. Like you've always been that way. Like even when we were kids and you could have stayed in Pittsburgh and still made a living as a musician. Mm-hmm. You you would have figured it out. I, I mean, because you did. I mean, you you did before you left. And like you're the kind of guy like like if you if for some reason you had to move to like Utah tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I picked Utah. Just just random spitballing. Pretty. But like if you if you if you had to move to Utah tomorrow, like you you wouldn't miss a beat. You, like you would figure it out. Um, and I've, I've always really admired that about you. So, so what, I mean, how, how have you always been able to do that? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for the compliment. I, uh, don't know if I fully agree. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, sometimes it, uh, it feels kind of the opposite where I feel like I am sort of floating in the ether looking for a lane or I don't know what lane that's supposed to be, but. Well, I think we all feel that way at times. Yeah. That's yeah, just was- life on earth. Um, I don't, I feel like, uh, with my dad being a musician, you know, me kind of being born into this to a degree, uh, maybe, you know, not necessarily like the industry per se, but, uh, the approach to a career in music, I always kind of found it more, um, you know, it's artistically fulfilling. It is rewarding on a personal level, on a soul level. But I look at it through the lens of like uh, being based on skills, like, you know, many other careers that are not artistic, maybe. And just kind of trying to identify, even to this day, let's say I go to a session or a writing session. um, I can do a lot of different things in that environment, but I try to observe quickly what other strengths everyone else is bringing to the table. And then I try to be like the guy that fills in the blanks instead Mm of like, if there's somebody who's really good at producing, I'm not going to kind of go out of my way to step on their toes in a session as a producer. I will step back and be, you know, I don't know, some more melodic writer or uh, serve some more executive function, you know, some uh, broad strokes. So let me ask you, Let's talk about just your year in general, then, mm-hmm. because you've always been a very prolific guy. And, you know, you're also one of my oldest friends. So I, so I try to always follow everything mm-hmm. you do. But, but, but this year, I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to pass the, the <laughs> test of like what I mean, dude, you I have produced, I remember what I did this year. <laughs> you've produced so many records in addition yeah. to your own stuff. So, I mean, give a summary of your year. And, and of course, you know, I'll have you plug everything later, but, but kind of give a summary of your 23. So, um, 23, I've, uh, I'd say this is like year two and a half post COVID in terms of getting back on the road as a sideman. Um, so right off the bat, um, sideman. Because some yeah. some people may not know what that yeah, means, sure. but, but that, that means like you are you are a hired musician, yeah, it's basically for, a hired gun for an artist or artists uh, to perform live. To you know, it might be a session or whatever, but basically not a band member proper. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't get money from the record sales. Not that there are any anymore. <laughs> I don't get the four cents from streaming. I get that on my own <laughs> sad music. <laughs> <laughs> Did, did you get your Spotify check this year? Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, like two bucks or something. Yeah. It's so I, can, I can look it up. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, and it's not more than a hundred bucks <laughs> at any given it's moment. So, I mean, I, I'm I, honestly, I'm surprised because like they did that thing recently. That person got those millions mm-hmm. of downloads and got like twelve dollars. Like like yeah. it's 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 remarkable what they get away it's with. Sort yeah, it's it feels unsustainable, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't think it just feels that way. <laughs> I would, yeah. I would go as far as to say it is in fact unsustainable. Yeah. I just, there's got to be an answer. It, I just don't know who has it. It's not me, but um, yeah, well, I, I was banking on you. So, yeah, well, I, guess, I, don't I guess know. We're I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh man! Um, but touring wise. Uh, this year was probably the busiest touring year I've had, uh, maybe since I moved to Nashville, at least with one artist. I think we did about 80 shows 
in the span of eight or nine months. And with travel, that easily doubles. You know, you're looking at a lot, 180, 200 days on the road. So that I was doing that while also trying to maintain my production schedule. So typically what I would do is sessions Monday to Wednesday in Nashville, maybe Thursday, leave typically on a Thursday to do gigs Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday sometimes. And I'll take my my studio basically on the road, work during the day before the show, play the show, go to the next town, set up in the hotel, keep producing, yada, yada. Um, so at the top of the year... You know, you know there are people out there who think <laughs> being a musician is glamorous. It's great, yeah. Holiday Inns. I've been in every Holiday Inn in America. <laughs> Me too, my friend. Me too, my friend. You know, I, I can taste the cinnamon roll as we're oh, having this God, conversation. Yeah. The coffee is... <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a certain thing though. You know, is, yeah. you sort of get it, acclimated to it, right? It's uh, I have like do. a sense memory for it almost. It becomes a food group for you, and, and you just you you know you're having hotel coffee right away. Like you mm-hmm. know you're not home. Yeah, it, it's like that. That for if I was like blindfolded and didn't know where I was, between the cat not being on the bed, mm-hmm. me being by myself, and then the first sip of hotel coffee, I'd be like, oh, I'm traveling. Yeah. I don't know where yet, but I'm definitely in a hotel of sorts. Yeah, I get that. Um, I forget where we were. Uh, so you were talking about how you know you you've had a lot of dates this year. You've been producing yeah. records. Yeah. So at the top of the year, um, the funny thing about making records at this point, and probably just you know historically in general, is that uh, the, there's no realistic or set timeline for anything. You know an artist can sit on a song for two or three years and then decide they want to put it out or not. Or, you know, I've had artists that they get so excited about a song in a writing session, they want to release it in a month. Um, so I've kind of experienced a lot of both of those scenarios in the last couple of years. And this year at the top of the year, just as a personal goal, I said, I want to have a dozen releases as a producer slash writer. Either, you know, if my name's on a record that counts. Wow. But not my own. So I figured like that's one a month. Um, maybe that's attainable. Maybe it's not. I think at the end of the year I hit 18 or 19. And, but that just really came from a lot of saying yes. And just really, you know, a little bit of workaholism, but, uh, you know, if I had a date free on the calendar and somebody wanted to write, I would say yes. Um, I was booking sometimes two and three writes a day just to get catalog. And then a lot of that catalog this year that came out was from the work I did like late last year. So now going to 2024, I'm kind of of the same mindset where, okay, I can kind of, I think we're going to have, you know, at least a dozen releases that are slated already for next year. And then I'll use that to kind of get more work, you know, per se. I mean, that's incredible. Like that's, I mean, I think a lot and, and I think even I myself don't realize the full extent of it, but but between having friends like you and just being around music, like like I have an I have a perspective on what it really means to be in the studio and to produce a song. I, I think the general person uh doesn't really even realize that. So so it's like to the general person, what you just described sounds still like incredible. But it's like for anyone who kind of knows like what it really takes. Yeah. to produce it's, a record like like it's nuts man like, like, <laughs> like it's just it's an insane amount of work i mean even though we, we do have tools at our disposal that that make sure. it infinitely easier than it was like even 20 years ago or 10 years ago even sure. but even still man you still gotta capture that music you gotta get the right takes you got you gotta make the room right like it's it's a lot yeah i think one interesting thing um especially the last few years is that I've gotten to produce a really like kind of hilariously wide range of music genre wise or style wise. And it's almost like it can be different jobs even under that umbrella. Like um, I'm in Nashville, obviously. So country music comes up (laughs) whether I love that or not sometimes. Uh, But I'm usually pretty lucky to work with artists who have, a, uh, a deeper point of view than just trucks and beer. So that's cool. Um, 
but those and, records- there, and there's a lot of that stuff going on in the country world in sure. Nashville. It's sure. just a lot of people don't realize that they they think it's all like they don't realize there's this whole other scene. Right. Yeah. Like the opposite of all that. <laughs> yeah. It's always kind of like under the surface, you know. It's mm-hmm. um, if you if you live in town, you're I think you're more aware of it than just you know someone who lives in the Midwest listening to their car radio or something. Mm-hmm. But the approach to doing a record like that is entirely different than doing like a synth pop record or something. And so it sort of forced me to grow new brain cells or, or something like that, where I definitely uh, have felt challenged a lot in the last year or two um, and really mentally exhausted at some points. But, you know, in our business, you know, your business and mine, it is, uh, we were talking earlier, it's the sort of old adage of, you know, you make hay while the sun shines. And because the future is so unpredictable, I could have a year where, you know, I produce barely any records because my usual clients have moved on or they want something different or it's just not a year where, where the people I know in my camp or my network are, are doing a lot of work or they're doing something else. So uh, there is a bit of a, a propensity to, to overextend yourself to kind of like say yes while the work is available. So when you produce a record, like because you work with so many different genres, how much, because, you know, like a record producer, you're doing more than just pressing record, obviously. Sure. Yeah. But, but you're also, you're not necessarily the songwriter, right. but you, you do have some input as far as the anatomy of the song goes. So, right. so when you're working with all these different genres, you know, how do you navigate that? And, and is it different depending on the genre you're working with? It's definitely different, uh, even like philosophically, I would say. Um, I'd say, I don't know, I'd probably estimate 70 to 80% of what I produce. I'm also a writer on, oh, okay, uh, which is not, uh, not me taking credit, but me actually being in the, the, uh, the inception point of the song when, when, we, when it was written and that kind of gives me a better idea of how to approach things usually than if I just get a voice memo of someone's song or their idea. And they're like, make this a record, you know, <laughs> which I do that too. But, um, I, do, I do, I do pretty much most of the post work myself. So I mix and, and master most of the records that I do. Um, I definitely play, you know, if it's a country record or a live band record, I'll play guitar and keys and then we'll do a live session with drums and utility and other guitars and things. Uh, but pop record, I'm pretty much doing every instrument, every track, all the programming. So it's extremely tedious. You know, I've done songs where I probably have 60, 70 hours into a song, you know. So, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Anthony has been in situations both live and in the studio where, where you've just basically <laughs> like you've learned to play something on the spot, which yeah. is which is incredible. Like, like that, like it's like a superpower. It's, and, uh, it's more like I've learned to fake how to play something on the spot. But even you know. still, I mean, that that's still incredible. Have you ever crossed something where you just couldn't maneuver it? Like what has there ever been yeah. an instrument where where you were like, oh man, this this, this French bassoon is, is where I draw <laughs> the line. I couldn't. It's mess. horns for sure. Horns. Are really? Awesome. Yeah, horns are just a totally like my brain doesn't. I don't know. They don't. They don't react, or they don't. They're not laid out in a way that uh, something like piano or guitar is in a linear fashion. Um, in the in the country or the Nashville world, something like a pedal steel is. I don't even know. It's like. I'd have to become a, a spaceship pilot to figure out how to play that. But banjo, mandolin, you were cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they're related enough to guitar um, in terms of the technique, like where you're, you know, your right hand, your left hand, how you chord things. That's still amazing too. And if if horns is where you draw that, I mean, that's probably mm-hmm. like it's like you have to breathe a certain way. You have to like use your mouth a certain yeah. way. Yeah, like your and mouth. Even the- Part like of the way that you would play, I mean, it's 
you can only play one note at a time too, but where you would put your fingers to make a note doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> it's like uh, two, like let's say you have two notes that are next to each other in a scale. You might use all 10 fingers to play one and then four fingers to play the next. And like, they're not anywhere near each other. <laughs> oh, wow. So but on a piano, maybe they're like two keys next to each other, you know? And you and you can do it on a piano, fortunately. Yeah, not not yeah. literally a piano, but a synth. You can just right. yeah. you know use the horn sounds. <laughs> it's like ah, I've been known to do that too. <laughs> sorry, horns, you didn't win. I still got this yeah. one. <laughs> so I, you know, in all the years I've known you, like like I've learned you know more about that world, and I'll still never forget when I saw your band in Hollywood. Mm. And and it really was. I mean, you know, like like I know. I mean, you play at a very very like people who do your job. They are literally, and I'm you know I'm not trying to flatter you. Like I know you, you're a very humble guy, but but it's like but it's like you guys are literally among the best in the world at what you do. Like like that's just objectively a fact. And and it's like when I saw your band, <laughs> like 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 in Hollywood, and. It was just, I've seen every creative iteration of everything you've done since mm-hmm. the seventh grade. And I, you know, I was just, <laughs> well, me too, man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, I was so blown away by that four piece that you had. And it was, of course, you and Victor mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, Victor, your songwriting partner, and, and then the keys and, and the drummer. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, I was going up to the keyboard player after and you know, I'd had like a beer or two. I wasn't like drunk, but I, I was a little toasty. And I was like, "Oh man, I got to tell you, I'm one of Anthony's best friends. I've been following him. Like we've known each other since we were literally five years old. I've seen every inclination of every band he's ever had. And man, you guys just gel like no other. This is just, I mean, th- this is just, man. You guys have just hit this level. And and just watching you guys play together, it's so like it's amazing the chemistry you have. And he just goes. Yeah, I met him like an hour ago. He seems like a nice guy. And I was just floored. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was Adam. Like, I was um, blown away. Like, he was like, oh, his name's Anthony? Shit, I've been calling him George this whole Like, I, I just could not. Like, I would have guessed that you guys, even at your level, I would have guessed that you guys at least rehearsed for, like, nonstop for two weeks or something like that. But here it's like that, and it's like, it's because you guys were all players at that level where you speak the language of a song. Yeah. And and that's like, it's just an amazing thing. And I think it's more than just, you can be in a, you have to be an amazing technical player. Yes. But there's other skills you have to have that some technical players might not have. They might be the best at playing scales or something. Mm -hmm. But they can't do what you and Victor, Adam, and, and the rest of that band can do. Um, how would you explain that? L- l- like, kind of unpack it for me. Like, like to just play at that level and, and just what it means to be able to operate in a band at, at that level. I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned that it's like uh, speaking a language. Because um, it really, I think it really is. Um, Technicality, I mean you don't really have to be technically like a a super proficient, uh, you know, clinical musician to work. It actually might hinder some people, but there is sort of a, I don't know, it's, you learn through osmosis or something, but there's almost an unspoken, you know, musical telepathy that happens at that level. And in certain I would say more like certain segments of the industry, which is the hired gun segment for sure. Um, Maybe it's a little less common if you come up in sort of a a rock band environment where, you know, you, you and your friends are the artist as a group. Um, But someone like Victor, someone like Adam crystal was the drummer on that gig. They're all just, you know, a level hired gun players. And I think that, it really comes from playing so much different kinds of music over the course of, you know, growing up or in your formative years, whatever you want to call it. Um, I used to like hate cover bands <laughs> when I was younger, but 
to be like in a really good cover band is a great challenge because you have to cover so much ground and become so familiar with not only like the songs themselves, but the approach that the, the sounds you would use, what is, uh, you know, applicable in this genre or this era, you know, what, what types of tones were they using? Um, or in, in the case of another instrument, like what types of drum sounds or, or something like that. And like anything, the older I get, I feel like the, I actually like know less. <laughs> so, um, maybe I'm less confident in my ability to do that now than I was when I was 17. Um, but the language part of it, if you don't stop, you know, I pretty much play music every day still, uh, in some, some form or fashion, I'm working that muscle. I'm still maintaining my fluency and being around different people. You know, I, I get to play with a really great group of musicians 80 times a year, you know, on my, on my hired gun gig, but I still do a fair amount of other things in Nashville. Um, you know, like label type events or house band type things where you have virtually zero prep time. Um, you get handed a Dropbox of 20 songs and you show up and you don't even really rehearse. And it's on, it's incumbent on everyone to kind of take care of their own territory and learn. And then you play the song and you're like, wow, we all, okay, we started and stopped in the same spot <laughs> and everything else kind of gels. That's just so incredible to me. I, I mean, I, I think it's like, yeah, it's just so it's 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 almost like watching the world's best improvisers in a way, mm. you know, where it's just like it's incredible, like, like what people can create together yeah. when they just they, they've just mastered that form of creation. And and it, it's like this idea that like like this house band maybe didn't even rehearse. It, it, uh-huh. It's it's mind blowing to me. And, and then, and then on, on the same note, you can put, you could also put a, a group of great musicians together in the room. And if they don't have that muscle, they might suck actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy to me. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah. I was thinking about, um, one of those types of scenarios was, uh, the show that led to me getting to play with Billy Gibbons. Um, I mean, quite literally, that was the scenario. There was no rehearsal. Um, there were multiple artists, you know, sort of a quick on and off one song per artist or two songs per artist switch. And, you know, it was, I mean, it was a lot of country, but it was still pretty genre agnostic. There was, a, there was like some really heavy, like guitar metalish kind of stuff. Um, there was some cinematic dark pop, uh, female screamo kind of thing. Wow. Um, and then like classic country, like, like classic nineties country. And, um, this particular group of guys that we put together, I, I kind of felt like almost not out of, out of my depth, but I was like, sort of like looking around, like in awe of, of the people that I get to hang out and make music with too. So, well, let's get into like some more practical stuff. Sure. Like, like, what would you say to somebody who is trying to forge a career in music now? Well, what does it really mean to have a career in music now? I mean, to make a living at all is still, you know, in the percentage of the population is pretty rare still, you know, to make a, a really good, even upper middle class living which is sort of, I feel like where I'd personally put myself, although I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not an economist, but, um, it's really hard. Um, it's not impossible, certainly, but it takes a certain type of mental fortitude. I would say more than a type of personality because I feel like I'm a, I'm pretty introverted actually. So when, you know, I feel like a lot of people will tell you like, oh, you know, you got to be super type A and go getter. And I know a lot of people in the music industry that are, are quiet and humble and to themselves and they're killers, you know, and they make a great living and they're incredible musicians. But 
there's sort of two sides to that coin. I would I feel like I, a few years ago, if you asked me that, I would say get to a large city as fast as you can. You know, get to where the industry is on the ground, um, which would be a New York, an LA, a Nashville, a London, something like that, Toronto. Um, now it's interesting because of the the prevalence of something like TikTok, which I'm not a huge fan of personally. But um, you can reach so many people instantaneously. However, the caveat being that that sort of isolates a lot of people too. You can make a lot of videos in your bedroom and learn how to play guitar from YouTube. But I would still say if you want to, you know, if your goal is to eventually go on tour with Taylor Swift, (laughs) you have to go to a city where the Taylor Swift's of tomorrow are getting signed and making records and where their bands are being put together. And there's still only a few cities in the world where that is really the case. Does Taylor Swift usually recruit out of Nashville? Yeah. And she's had her band for a long time. Most of her band she's had for a really long time. Does she live there? Sort of part-time, I think. I think she has a Tennessee driver's license, although I don't know for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that so so usually it's like... uh, do most of the biggest acts recruit out of Nashville these days or, or is it, is it mixed? It's mixed. I would say it's a uh, majority LA and Nashville for sure. Depending on what side of the country you're living on, what type of music you're doing. Um, there's a bit of New York mixed in, but I feel like the New York people sort of, uh, you know, it's New York by way of Nashville or New York by way of LA. Most tours are launching from Nashville or Los Angeles in terms of like crew and transportation buses, things like that. I mean, Nashville always just makes the most sense because you're just smack dab in the Right, exactly. It's the best sort of uh, centrally located point to launch from. It's it's a great place to be a road comic and and more people are realizing that because there's more and more comedians out of Nashville now than ever before. Um, you know, and, and part of that is because, you know, a couple heavy hitters live in town, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's also, you know, people are just realizing like, oh, this is, uh, I think Todd Snyder, well, I'm sure a lot of people have said some variation of this, but I, I most famously have always heard it from Todd Snyder. This is the city, Nashville's the city where you can really do the weekends. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, you're, you're just so <laughs> well, close to a million different places. The, the music is, uh, the music industry or the touring industry, I should say, is identical to that um it's there are certainly if you're a you know a massive stadium act um you're going to be gone for nine months or, or whatever six weeks at a time but the vast majority of tours out of nashville occur on the weekends uh which makes it sort of a unique thing in the industry where you can have you know you can be tethered to some semblance of a normal life because you get to be home uh monday through thursday you know and you get to sleep in your own bed more than, you know, three days a month. Yeah. So continuing shop talk for a little bit, because mm-hmm. this is like so it, it's so fun to see the parallels between music and comedy, you know. Um, so I know that. And again, this is from being your friend and, and knowing you guys and stuff um, at, like I know that there are just straight up open jam nights, open mic nights. Um, and some of them are just people playing cover songs, having fun. Some of them are like, there's probably someone hanging out here who might be able to give you a job. Mm-hmm. When someone wanders into Nashville, how do they figure out which is which? Um, downtown uh, used to be, I mean, it still is pretty tourist heavy. Um, the difference now is that you can really work. Um, if you work on the Broadway circuit, which is like the heavy cover band circuit, you can make a lot of money if you get into one of the right clubs. Uh, but that can become a double-edged sword or sort of a golden handcuff situation. Um, I'd say at this point, the longest standing institution for the type of thing that you're talking about is a thing called Whiskey Jam. And it I think it started the year I moved to town. Um, ironically, they have now moved that event into a venue downtown in the, in the morass of, of tourist, the tourist area. Oh, interesting. Um, which we'll see how that plays out long term. but whiskey jam essentially highlights 
you know, only original unsigned music and they can be people I've seen people literally passing through town, you know, that you've never heard of. Like they're a family band from North Florida and they're, they're on their way to play some fair and in, in Indiana and they stop by for a night in Nashville and play three songs at whiskey jam. But it has birthed the career of many, many kind of modern day superstars out of Nashville. And I feel like it's almost not quite a rite of passage, but if you are new to town and you do anything, not just, you know, songwriters for sure, but if you're an artist, if you're looking to be a player in a band, you're looking to be a hired gun session people, um, this is sort of the, the uh, inception point, I guess you would say. Um, you know, it's, it's the first place that I would go to meet people that also just moved to town that are trying to do the thing you're doing. Almost, almost like a, like a, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like a famous uh, comedy club open mic night. You know, we've heard a million stories about some of the most legendary comics all sort of being peers at the same time coming up together, you know, practicing jokes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I think a good parallel would be a place like the comedy store. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you first, especially if you're in LA, when you first get to town, you, you just start going to the comedy store and, and mm-hmm. you try to like find your lane. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think the one kind of caveat is like, there are eventually things kind of fragment off depending on if you really want to be a writer or if you only right. want to do stand up or if you want to do, you know, if you, if you want to go more the acting route, like there's all these little, like eventually kind of subsections off. But, um, well, what about the bluebird is the bluebird or did the TV show there. kind of change? It's, um, I, I don't know. I feel like the TV show helped the bluebird from a uh, tourist marketing standpoint. Sure. But maybe is not as indicative of reality in 2023. Uh, the bluebird, <clears throat> excuse me, it's still there. Certainly. Um, it's funny cause it's smack in the middle of the strip mall that you would never expect to find a venue like that. In my estimation, and I don't go there very often anymore, so I could be wrong, but it feels like it sort of caters to um, more established songwriters who are not, you know, people that already have hits that are have a free night to go share their work with people from out of town, maybe caters to a little bit of an older crowd. Um, they'll still do, you know, new act kind of nights, but it's the fact that by way that it's not in town like it's not in the city per se it's in green hills which is you know 20 minutes outside of town in the suburb makes it a little less foot trafficy than something like whiskey jam okay yeah that that's interesting to me well that it's just have you ever noticed because like i'll say this i have been this has only happened to me one time in my life and i'll even say the the situation it was at an Americana Fest, uh, which, which is a big music festival mm-hmm. in Nashville. That's actually an awesome. I'd love, I, I would love going to that. Um, but it was the only time in my life I was genuinely embarrassed to be in an audience for something. <laughs> and it was because, so Jay Farrar of, uh, of uh, Sunvolt mm-hmm. was doing the, the Sunvolt album Trace in its entirety solo by himself. And it was like a big event. They were like, Jay Farrar is going to do Trace. And uh, you would think that it was just some like cover act in the middle of a strip mall who was not doing a very good job or something. I mean, this people were just talking, and, and it was like your, your your cliche of people exchanging business cards. Well, Jay Ferrars, and and he was getting visually ticked off. He uh-huh. was like kind of look like I think a couple times he tried to walk off and they wouldn't let him walk off. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is what's wrong. That this is what are you guys? What's wrong with all of you? All yeah. of you apologize and start <laughs> behaving right right now. I'm not comfortable. Like like it was just so. But that's the sort of Nashville thing where it's like when it comes to music, they've seen it all. And that is a real thing. That is a. Yeah. It's almost it's almost become a meme. Um, yeah. Well, artists uh, will skip the city because of that. <laughs> yeah, there is the like the sort of meme of you know a Nashville crowd is just 
a sort of you know a sea of blank faces with crossed arms, right? But but they're still polite afterward. Yeah. They're listening intently, but it's, they don't they don't clap much, and they're not you know they seem there's like a heavy level of disinterest, even if they are you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. I, I mean, maybe oversaturation, or like you're saying, like we've seen it all. You know, you know we've we got music twenty four seven here in seventeen hundred different venues. Like, okay. <laughs> And to an extent, I get it because, you know, like anywhere else, like similar how like L.A. or New York is with comedy, the good is amazing. The bad yeah. is, oh, my God. So yeah. so like I get it when, when you're surrounded all the time, but it's still uh, there's this artist that I like called Beans on Toast. He was actually the first episode yeah, of the show. I was episode, yeah. He has he has an episode, er, a, a song called Fuck You, Nashville. <laughs> And it's all about that. like That's that terrible. experience. Oh yeah, you should check it out. It's pretty funny, but he talks about um, you know how he had a bad experience, and he's had good experiences since. He's a very you know polite, diplomatic True. guy. Like he's totally, and he'll play that song in Nashville. They kind of appreciate it. <laughs> but um, but he was talking about his first experience in Nashville, and I'm like, oh yeah. And then it, it's funny on the drive home, my friend uh, who came with me, my, my buddy Drew we were kind of talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, man, there's some truth in what he was saying though. Let, let me tell you this Jay Farrar story. And it, it's like, so, so yeah, the, the Nashville crowds, man. I mean, that, does it, does it make you work harder? Maybe a little bit. Um, definitely when uh, my band, the love electric was more active uh, when Victor still lived in, in Nashville, I, I sort of feel like we would, I don't know. We both, everybody all parties involved are obsessed with springsteen to a degree so but we would kind of like have this mentality like we're going to war <laughs> even if it was a tiny club you know on eighth avenue or something um but it would i mean it would it would sort of inspire you to um you know you're gonna i'm gonna make somebody listen i'm gonna make somebody not necessarily like me but i'm gonna make them physically react because they're just sitting there with their eyes crossed, you know, or their, their arms crossed and their eyes rolled, you know, like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> Oh, look at all these people with dreams and goals. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, I know it really is though. <laughs> <laughs> so plug away, man, where can people go to find your stuff? Uh, so most of my stuff is, uh, anti songs. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm most active on social media at anti a n t i underscore songs with a z s o n g z um, anti songs dot com that's with an s I'm sorry um, I think the other one was taken I can't remember um, the, either of those pretty much you can find me anywhere else using those as a as a landing platform. Awesome man. Well, well, dude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, of course, for- man. Thank you for having me. Dude, absolutely, man. I mean, you have always been one of my best friends and, and still friend. are. And you've been, I mean, you know, we don't need to get into specifics right now, but but you literally were there for me at my worst moment in my life that, that hopefully will go down as the worst moment. I hope I, hope I don't pass it up. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you, you were there for me in a way that, that I will I will never forget and will always be incredibly just, just gracious for and uh I, I hope I, I never have to repay the favor at that level. <laughs> but but, yeah. but if I ever do, yeah. of course I will. You You're know, it. first call. <laughs> you got it, dude. You got it. You got it. Um. So so yeah. Like thank you for that. And uh, yeah, man, you've always you've always been an inspiration. When, whenever I just sometimes whenever I want to just uh, whenever I just want to take it easy, I, I I think about you and I'm like I probably shouldn't. I, I probably should try to at least write, at least write a page. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a page a day or whatever they say, right? That's, I mean, hey, that's pretty good. And and I try to, you know, I, I, I try to write something, at least something, kind of like what you're saying, like I'm doing music in some capacity. I try to write something yeah. every day. Sometimes it's just working on a script. Sometimes it's just like one joke that the next day I'm like, that joke sucks, yeah. but something. Yeah, I mean, it's like a muscle, right? I mean, it's, it's such a cliche, but it is kind of, it, you know, as long as you don't quit the race, that's the whole point. That was Anthony Rankin. Check out his website, antisongs.com. That's A-N-T-I-Songs.com. 
Music for the 1000 Podcast is provided by Andrew Saxena. Be sure to check out his podcast, the Baywatching Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I said podcast way too many times in that sentence. Leave us a five-star review, would you? That really helps grow the show. And if you want to support this show on the sustainability end, you can do so over at patreon.com slash ronplacone. For a give-what-you-can level, you get all kinds of exclusive content. You get the 1000 bonus podcast. I do streams, full stand-up clips not available anywhere else. I'll make you a theme song, and that's all for a give-what-you-can level. Uh, even a dollar a month goes a long way. That's patreon.com slash ronplacone. Guys... Happy holidays. Happy New Year. This is the first calendar year that the 1000 podcast has been in existence. The, the podcast is not a year old yet. It's uh, it's only a couple months old. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what's coming up. I'm really excited to be doing this project. And I want to just take a moment to thank all of you so, so much for listening to this show. Because guess what? You're the early adapters. This is still a very new show. Uh, by by podcast standards, it's very very new, and I was pretty nervous to start something new. It, it's very intimidating to start something brand new. Uh, I was nervous to do so, and in some ways, it, it is starting over again. In some ways, it is. In some ways, it isn't. But nonetheless, it's an intimidating thing. But I'm so happy we're doing it. And uh, to all of you who are among the early adapters. Thank you so, so, so very much. And I hope you've enjoyed consuming this show as much as I've enjoyed making it for you so far. And, and I, I can't wait to... Uh, here's to 2024. I, I can't wait to, uh, to get through all 1,000 of these. It's been an amazing ride already. See you next week. Hey guys, Ron Placone here. Take your own 1,000 challenge. No, you don't need to interview 1,000 people, although if you want to do that, go for it. Your 1,000 challenge can be whatever you want. Maybe you want to call a friend out of the blue once a week. Maybe you want to read a book every month. Maybe you want to start a different garden every season. I guess that might be dependent on where you live. Look, the point of the challenge is taking on an endeavor that enriches your life in some way, and it can be measured. And then, of course, you do it regularly. That's what 1000 is doing for me and hopefully for you too. The main reason for this podcast and every podcast I've ever done is to build community. So take your own challenge. Then join our Facebook group. It's called 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. That's 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. And post about what your 1000 challenge is and the progress you're making. All I ask is that people be encouraging of each other's challenges. This is personal and vulnerable, so be cool. There's enough negativity on social media. We don't need to add to it. For those of you who aren't on Facebook, hopefully in the future we'll be expanding to places like Discord, Reddit. But for now, we're starting on Facebook. And again, that Facebook group is called 1000 What's Your Challenge. See you there.